Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Darren Lasagas. And today marks the Palestinian Nakba, or catastrophe. 73 years ago, on May 15, 1948, the State of Israel came into being, entailing the forced expulsion of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from their homeland. Not only is today this commemoration, but over the past week, violence against Palestinians has spiked, specifically in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, where families are being forcibly removed to make way for Israeli settlers. Today on the show, we'll be joined by Sarah Saleh. Sarah is Arab-Australian of Egyptian, Lebanese and Palestinian ancestry. She's a human rights and refugee advocate, as well as an award-winning poet. She'll be joining us later to discuss Sheikh Jarrah and Palestine. She, alongside Janine Harani and Lujain Harani, has compiled some important resources on Sheikh Jarrah and Palestine, information on how we can take action from here in the Australian colony. Yeah, we're also so keen to hear about Sarah's work as a poet and chat about how, for her, writing can actually be an act of resistance. You're listening to Race Matters. I'm Darren Lasagas. I'm Tanya Ali. And you may have come across a gallery of resources shared widely this week on Instagram titled Supporting Sheikh Jarrah from the Australian Colony. We're joined now by Sarah Saleh, award-winning poet, refugee and human rights advocate and one of the people who put together those resources. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Race Matters. Thank you for having me. To start, the displacement of and violence against Palestinians has been ongoing for decades. How much do you think the conversation in Australia around this has changed? I think what we're seeing right now is certainly um, a shift in the sort of the framing of what's going on at the moment. And I think there's a couple of uh, reasons for that. But firstly, I just wanted to uh, draw our attention to sort of the mainstream media coverage, which, um, as I'm sure you can imagine, or as you've seen, has actually been quite um, reductive and sort of very, uh, I want to say, um, 
one-sided in terms of how it has framed this, and I think there are a couple of problems there. One, the lack of uh, Palestinian voices and the centering of Palestinian voices and giving us that space. But also I think the, the, the inability to see us as trustworthy and credible sources to tell our own stories and our own narratives. So there's this sort of... Um, uh, flawed conception uh, that apparently we cannot be objective or that, uh, you know, that in order to, uh, in pursuit of this sort of um, faux objectivity or neutrality or balance, that uh, we need to be um, either having people speak about us or at us or, you know, for us, uh, or that if we were to be so generous as to provide, you know, a platform for a Palestinian person, uh, you know, someone who is uh, undergoing you know the ongoing um you know, process of colonization, whether it's this, you know, digital and media colonization, really, and, and those that serve this colonial narrative and cloud the coverage. Like, if we are given that space, it's always uh, in opposition to or alongside someone who is coming from that uh, structure of colonizer, as though these are two equal opposite sides, that there's symmetry, that there's, um, as I said, there's this balance. And so what I really just want to drive home today is that I think that this is, uh, and and we've seen it very clearly, this is not a clash. This is not a conflict. Uh, The language that we use, the naming of things is very important. Uh, And I think making sure that we call it out for what it is and using the language, no matter how um, unpalatable it is for us, is really important. Otherwise, we are complicit in distorting the narrative you know, clouding the coverage and actually really undermining um, a population, an indigenous population that is fighting for their liberation and self-determination. So that is that is in a nutshell <laughs> what has what we are seeing, um, you know, wrong, I guess, with mainstream media. But of course, uh, there are elements such as um, a local and community that have been wonderful in providing us that space, um, as well as uh, social media. I think the fact that we are seeing pure, unadulterated, unfiltered um, you know, facts on the ground from Palestinians in every corner and what is happening there, there is no denying that. There is no um, sanitizing or uh, sort of uh, metaphorizing that. And I think that's really um, a, a, a large part of why we are seeing the shift in terms of in social media, the solidarity. Uh, I don't think people anywhere, uh, people in good conscience, free people could ever look at that and turn away. And lastly, I think in Australia in particular, uh, for us as people on stolen land, for us, uh, you know, uh, being in a settler colony, um, you know, witnessing that, um, being complicit in that sort of dispossession, this should not come as, you know, should not be a surprise to us. The language, the reality, what is happening should be all too familiar in very many, in in, in different ways, but still, you know, um, as I said, a shared struggle, an anti-colonial struggle. What does support for Palestine look like from here? Thank you for asking that. I think uh, we don't often uh, get asked that enough, as I said, and I think that's part of, um, unfortunately, the problem that I was referring to earlier, and that is very easy to uh, dehumanize and other us and not see us, uh, you know, or see us as expendable and not see us as real people uh, in real time who have, you know, livelihoods and families and dreams, who's currently, uh, whose hearts and hopes and minds are really and heads are, are 
occupied, of course, with what is going on there. We are there with our people. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that they are the ones who are um, Palestinians uh, in, in Palestine, in, you know, are the ones that are on the forefront, on the front lines, fighting for our liberation. And that is, you know, um, they, they are bearing, I think, the, the most cost. And so I really just want to acknowledge that. And so Having said that, it's really important for us to turn our attention, of course, as I said, and not look away. Uh, there are a number of things that we can do here. Uh, first and foremost, I, I, we outlined in our resources that there are the voices that we need to be centering at all over, um, who are, you know, as I mentioned, fighting all over Palestine, and that would be um, people like Mohammed al-Kurd um, and, and his sister Mona al-Kurd, who uh, are actually the individuals at the heart of the Sheikh Jarrah um, of what is happening in Sheikh Jarrah, you know, they're currently facing this violent dispossession. And so uh, they have been able to give us, as I said, uh, you know, front row seats to the to the violence that is happening, uh, perpetrated by the Israeli Jewish settlers, as well as the government. Um, so definitely make sure that we are following them um, in terms of what you can do tangibly, uh, in addition to educating yourself and having the difficult conversations and using, I think, the right language. We need to be able to provide resources where possible. So if that means that you can materially, you know, donate um, to the organizations that are doing things on the ground, I think that's really important. And we've outlined organizations like Grassroots Jerusalem, who have been working for a very long time. You know, this didn't start. This, this didn't just start last week, nor did it start with Sheikh Jarrah. So I think supporting them is obviously um, uh, critical. And of course, uh, here I think we've got the, uh, I guess, the ability to mobilize really quickly as well. And so we've got rallies happening across every state um, in the country, and we've got uh, events and we've got vigils. And so definitely, please come along. I think that pressure in terms of and the visibility and keeping up that momentum is really important so and just knowing that we've got that support um is 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 yeah would be i think would be really um good to see so definitely come along to um these types of events and show your support uh can you tell us about janine hurani and lujain hurani who you compile the resources with absolutely so janine and lujain are two of uh, my fiercest Palestinian, um, I guess, you know, warriors and and campaigners and human rights uh, advocates and, and poets. But of course, there are so many more things than that. Um, and and uh, we uh, well, let me tell you a little bit about their background first. They were actually um, born uh, stateless and uh, having had a, you know, a number of very difficult journeys to kind of get here um, to Australia. Their parents are um, a, a Palestinian and Lebanese. And so in Australia, they, they're here, they're doing some really good work. Uh, Janine is also an, a very quite outspoken refugee advocate, as I mentioned. And um, Lujain is a poet and artist as well, who recently got the new chapter initiative with Wheel Center. So definitely one to watch. And I think, um, you know, having said that, uh, it's really there, uh, this is the sort of um, example to what I was um, referring to earlier around making sure that we are uplifting and centering Palestinian voices and creatives and individuals who have been doing a lot of the kind of invisible, uh, important heavy lifting behind the scenes. Um, and and for me personally, I'm really grateful to be standing alongside uh, such uh, strong and gentle and dignified and really. Um, yeah, um, fiercely intelligent um, people. 
May 15 marks the commemoration of Nakba. Um, this year marks 73 years since the Palestinian catastrophe, wherein uh, the process of European Zionist settlers moving into Palestine in the 1880s came to a head and displaced around 750,000 Palestinians between 1947 and 1949. How do the diaspora acknowledge this time today? We uh, often commemorate Nakba with, um, in various ways, but I think one of the most uh, visible or one of the most, I think, uh, popular in, in recent years, uh, perhaps, has been the Nakba rallies. So having um, these uh, Palestinian-led rallies across the country in protest to commemorate is a way for us to come together, um, to show our solidarity, to um, remember but and honor what you know our ancestors and what happened, but also, I think, um, ensure that people understand that this isn't a one-off event, that Nakba is ongoing, and we see it. Sheikh Jarrah is ongoing Nakba. What is happening at the moment in historic Palestine in 48, um, in, in so-called Israel? That's Nakba. Uh, for, so for us, uh, that that um, having being able to express the fact that this is something that we are um, currently seeing that we are children of Nakba past, present, future, until justice, until freedom, until liberation, until decolonization, um, is a really also um, critical part of that, of this conversation, I think. This is Race Matters. I'm Tanya Ali. I'm Daryl Sargas. We're joined by a refugee rights advocate, co-editor of Arab Australian Other and poet Sarah Saleh. Congratulations on winning the Peter Porter Poetry Prize. Uh, we want to speak about your award-winning poem, The Poetics of Getting Very Soon. But first, we do love an origin story here at Race Matters. <laughs> what is your earliest memory of poetry? Wow. <laughs> I'm I'm going to have to shift gears because I think you know it's been a very somber week mm. and um upon reflection I think that's part of you know that's that's poetry as well for me really um I think growing up in a household where um we were so often uh caught up in storytelling storytelling that has been passed on by our ancestry by you know um that is part of our heritage especially as people who have been um dispossessed and have moved around in a lot of ways we don't have the luxury of of that kind of the security and you know I didn't I wasn't able to say that I grew up in a home and I've had a family home that so often people have that I just can't relate to so I think in in saying that this process of continually um being um you know shifting I think has made me realize that stories and poetry are really our only heirloom in so many ways. Um, and so being able to have that and grow up with that and hear it in every sense of the word, and, and in a way also very uh, political, I think, um, especially as an Arab and as a Palestinian, because poetry for us has been uh, how we remember um, as well. Uh, that That's probably one of my earliest memories of, of poetry growing up in a household, just being surrounded by it, whether in song or in, you know, um, in, in actual like reading in the literature. Was there a moment where you thought, I'm going to pursue poetry for me? Not 
<laughs> not not when I was young. I think. Yeah. When, uh, please don't hold this against me. It's super <laughs> embarrassing. But um, I grew up writing songs, and they were terrible songs. <laughs> like I wrote about the four seasons, you know, as in literally <laughs> autumn and winter, like that. That was the extent of my. Songwriting career, um, but no, you know, I think I always, uh, you know, I was was a writer in in some way, shape, or form. And uh, earliest memory, I think, in terms of um, just to go back to your question, uh, there there are so many, but um, one of them I think uh, had to have been um, realizing or growing up knowing that my grandfather was a journalist and just wanting to, uh, he was a journalist in Egypt actually, and passed away before I could meet him, and uh, just being able to have that kind of connection and uh, grow up in a household where I saw his articles and, his, you know, his creative work um, and political work and to realize that I also was a writer, um, albeit of four season related <laughs> songs and other things, um, was actually really special. You know, that's how you kind of, uh, that's how people live on, I suppose, in your right and family members live on. And and so, um, but, but with poetry, um, it wasn't until I sort of had uh, in in sort of like my serious, serious uh, sort of political writing and academic writing, I had a bit of a a writer's block, and I was like, I need to try new things, and I need to go out and and um, you know, I guess expose yourself to other forms of art. And that's really important as an artist and as an individual, I think. And this was at around the same time that Bankstown Poetry Slam which is, you know, the biggest poetry slam in the Southern Hemisphere, was starting up in Bankstown. And I really loved the idea, not only of this platform, to be able to share these stories and these poems about anything and everything that was done in a very self-determined, uh, you know, safe way, you know, led by people of color, um, black people, uh, indigenous people, um, who are, you know, all part of the space and, and um, leading that and doing it in a way where, we could talk about these issues that were relevant and that mattered to us. And so, um, and in a way that was very non-hierarchical, very flat, very communal, very supportive. So whether you were in it because you actually were serious about kind of long-term poetry as a quote-unquote career, uh, or because you just needed a community to be able to um share these issues, uh, issues that, you know, where you didn't have to explain yourself, where it was, uh, you know, very, as I said, safe and supportive. I think that's what got me into it. So uh, continuing to write just in a different manner and then realizing that actually I I love um, writing and I love, I love, I want to keep doing this. Um, in, and, and, you know, it's exciting and thrilling for the craft to be able to explore and challenge yourself and push boundaries and um, take up different art forms where you can, you know, um, if, if that's what you're interested in. Going back to what you were saying about poetry kind of being like an heirloom sometimes um I feel like the poetics of forgetting is that like that is very relevant to that poem it's so beautiful it's Thank so you. powerful could you tell us about writing it I wrote that poem in the aftermath of Beirut. Um, so my background, I've mentioned Palestine, mentioned <laughs> Lebanon, mentioned Egypt. Uh, those are actually the three places um, where my parents um, have are from. So that's my heritage. And uh, for me, in the aftermath of Beirut, which is a really uh, horrifying thing to you know have to go through um, for you know my family, for my people, and uh, 
just that, you know, the aftermath of that um, and processing that and what that looked like, especially as, you know, someone who is has the safety and the privilege of being here and witnessing from afar and balancing all these sorts of, or rather, I wouldn't even say balancing, but sort of uh, de- dealing with all of these overwhelming feelings of survivor's guilt of how do we help, what do we do, um, and so that that was like the headspace that I was in. That was the mindset. And in that uh, sort of, you have this like, I guess, epiphany or moment of self-reflection or audit where you realize that um, what are what are the things that are worth it? What, what are things uh, worth to you? And what are the things that are worth fighting for? And how do you do that? And so, uh, and, and how do you do that with honesty? Because for so long, you, you're trying to be, uh, perfect in every way, dutiful daughter raised, you know, um, trying to be supportive, trying to ignore the fact that there's a lot that is very distressing about this world, but that there's also a lot of hope and there's a lot of beauty in the very, in, in a lot of the ugly things. And there's beauty in everyday, mundane, daily, mediocre things too, like seeing the wonder in that. So I guess say, having said all that, I realized that, oh, well, maybe it's okay to be messy because clearly um, this world is a very messy place. There's, there's a lot of gray and no clear lines, no clear demarcations. And I like, you know, clear clarity. Who doesn't? I like certainty. I like um, clear lines. Um, but maybe if I could just give myself this chance to um, go outside of that, what would that look like? And so that, that, I guess, all of this is to say that this was the mindset that I was writing from. And then it ended up happening that all of these pieces in the poem came together. And um, that's how Poetics of Forgetting happened. Amazing. I wanted to also talk briefly about uh, Arab Australian Other, which is the anthology that you co-edited with Randa Abdel Fattah. Icons. Um, mm. How, I guess, so much of that anthology um, sits around community. How did putting that together shape your sense of community here? The, the whole reason or one of the main reasons we wanted to do that was because uh, we wanted to give um, Arabs who grew up, you know, in Australia of all various backgrounds, um, you know, uh, the chance to or the, the platform to tell their own stories, rather, to elevate and create the space for them to be able to do that in a way that was, again, um, very self-determined and not um, gate-kept and not otherized, as has so often been the case in mainstream media portrayals and in um, sort of uh, Hollywood and all sorts of like film portrayals, right? So either um, Arab men in particular are hyper-criminalized and hyper-sexualized uh, or, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and seen as, as um, you know, the, the sort of like the Aladdins that have to perform that role. And women in particular uh, also seen as in need of saving, very fetishized and orientalized. Um, and again, the Jasmines, right? That's that's the common perception, the common portrayal. And so we wanted to be able to um, tell our own stories. That wasn't necessarily a pushback because we don't exist in opposition to these stereotypes. We're not a reaction or, uh, you know, and as I, it, that would really um, be playing to that white gaze. We're not an other, but actually we exist in a full array of complexity and emotion and story and feeling. And so what that meant for these, you know, these writers to be able to convey that in this book was why we wanted to, quite frankly, um, create that space. And also, uh, 
to really just be able to say, like, let's create a work where the little uh, Elias's and little Rowan's of the world and little Muhammad's could, you know, look up uh, on the bookshelf and see themselves reflected in that book or, you know, could go to the bookstore or the library and have that be present as part of their lived experience or their reality, um, which is something that we did not have growing up. So um, I had, you know, I don't know, Nancy's, Jessica's, and Elizabeth's. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a, uh, again, don't hold that against me. It's the only thing that was available in, when I was seven. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that that was part of the reason why um, we we wanted to create this work, Arab Australian Other. I mean, it's about time. Uh, there are so many incredible voices in Arab Australian literary movement, um, and we build on those that have come before us, and we also create our own path, um, forge our own path as well. Sarah, I feel like we can hear it in your words now and we can feel it in the words that you write, but you've said that writing is an act of resistance. What does that mean to you? As I've mentioned um, throughout the conversation, language uh, and narratives uh, are very important. I think we have seen that when you when the power is not on you know, your side, um, it's very easy for um, the dominant powers, the oppressors to erase, to rewrite, to distort, to skew, to find loopholes in language, um, you know, to, to write you out of existence. But um, the incredible, um, amazing, like resourcefulness and perseverance and will and steadfastness of the Palestinian people, um, for one, has made sure that that does not happen. And so we have to keep uh, calling out where we are seeing that um, that distortion happen. So for us, it is about um, making sure that we are bearing witness, that we are uh, able to provide testimony, that we are telling these stories. And I think that's specifically what I mean. And, and remembering, you know, honoring um, what, what writing and what poetry is about for me. So it is when we write, we write to exist. But also uh, when I write... Um, it's 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 uh, so much more than that as well because a writing for me is is uh, is an art. It's about uh, an art form that is about um, holding up a mirror to society. It's about reflecting. It's also about um, my own growth, my own um, experiences, my own literary like craft, and my dedication to the craft. So you know, it brings together a lot of things. But ultimately, what I'm really interested in as well, especially within that umbrella of resistance, as as you um, referred to, is for us to articulate what we're for, what we, how we, how we dream, how we imagine, how we create worlds. What are we fighting for? What do we want to create, as opposed to what we don't want to see again that reaction or opposition I'm not I know we often are very good at articulating what we don't want what we're saying no to but what are we saying yes to and this is the chance this is where you dream this is where you take people with you on that vision uh, and as uh, you know on that journey and, and give them that vision and you know writing obviously has a value in and of itself I think I strongly believe that but it would be I think very unusual. Uh, I think it's it's James Baldwin who says this to be in a burning building and not write about the fire, right? So I think that's partly one of the reasons why we keep doing what we're doing um, in this way. I want to pivot to self-care. It's something that we talk a lot about uh, here on Race Matters and you know it's especially vital working in advocacy as you do um, 
how do you practice self-care? Did my mother call you? Did she put you up to this? And I feel like someone from my family definitely called I think that should tell you everything. Um, I definitely agree in theory that that is very important. And I was actually just saying this to Janine this morning as we were talking um, because I think we have, as I mentioned to you, been running on empty. But it is is very hard to kind of try and, you know, uh, look after ourselves or make this about us when we're obviously, you know, as I mentioned, um, completely... Uh, focused on our people and those that are on the front lines um, paying the highest price for what is happening right now. And so having said that, we do have the privilege to be able to um, continue the work with, that we do in, in different ways, and that needs to be sustained. Uh, and so I think, you know, as I, I said to Janine, we, we need to make sure that we are getting um, sleep if we can, that we're checking in, checking in on each other, um, and that we have, oh, it's amazing to, to be able to say that you have a good support system. So having these space, uh, sa- spaces that are safe and, and conversations with trustworthy people, with elders who are always able to put things in perspective, especially when you are most down or when you're burnt out and you just don't, when you're fried, like you don't have time um to even process any of it so i think the reason we were having this conversation this morning is because it's finally hitting us like what is happening right now um so i said to her we do, we, f- we felt a little guilty about the fact that it was aid yesterday aid being um the celebration of the end of the month of ramadan the holiest month so for those for muslims who celebrate and who observe and but we were there were conversations there were um, messages from palestinians on the ground basically saying no, you need to take this moment um, because resist a joy is resistance. You know, having this moment of of celebrating, wishing someone Eid Mubarak. You know, drinking that morning coffee and then saying hashtag Free Palestine. Like, you know, that's that's you know, there's a, there's joy in that. It's important to not uh, let what is happening break your spirit. We have been here for a very long time, struggling, and we will continue to be here struggling for as long as it takes. So, looking after yourself. Um, is important. So you know what? I'm gonna finally go and get a haircut. Maybe <laughs> potentially at some point. That's gonna be my self care. Doing this the life admin, and um, and and yeah, and just checking in on um, my Palestinian fam. Um, making the time a little bit to read. I think um, eventually uh, this week. I, I I'm I'm gonna say it to you, and you can hold me accountable <laughs> yes. to that. Yeah, it, uh, those are the some of the smaller but really important um, daily things. I think. Oh, and running. Oh, that is my yeah. I have neglected that for a week, and I'm not. I'm feeling a little um, unhappy, but you know, I think I think I need to I need to get back into that so I have a bit more clarity going back into the you know the work that we're doing. Thank you for asking me that. Also, I just wanted to say I really appreciate um, you asking. It's it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's heartening to have someone see you and to ask that and and check in amidst everything. Sarah, we are nearing the end of our time together, but there is one question that we ask all our guests when they come through on the show. Sarah, when did you realize there was power in your race? I love that question. I mean, I just said <laughs> <laughs> we've been here. And we'll continue to be here despite whatever has been thrown at us. And it's I've been doing this, you know, for quite a while now, um, for 15, 16 years. And obviously, you know, seeing so many 
others have been doing it for far longer and it's such an honor and privilege to be able to um, have to learn from them and have them as mentors and teachers and so they keep things as I said in perspective um, having hindsight and seeing how incredible the spirit of Palestinian people and and you know I want to pay tribute also to my heritage as an Egyptian as a Lebanese person as well um, having this spirit um, that has not you know, it might bend but that hasn't broken has been uh, you know incredibly inspiring to me um, and knowing that we can uh, sustain each other and hold out hold a note you know a musical note I guess um, for so long uh, is is for me uh, that's power. Sarah Saleh, thank you so much for joining us on Race Matters and being so generous with your time and your words. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Before you go, you are going to share a reading with us. Um, Is there anything you'd like to say to introduce the poem that you're going to read today? This poem is called um, Border Meditations. It's, uh, it was the poem that won the Judith Wright, uh, well, Overland Judith Wright Poetry Prize uh, recently. Um, And I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but it is uh, relevant to what is happening on the ground in a lot of ways. And so uh, that's why I wanted to share, share the reading today with you. Border Control, Meditations. This is a list of questions two young soldiers asked me at the King Hussein border crossing checkpoint. Were you born on a Thursday in Cleopatra Hospital? Did you come out silently as daybreak smudged the night sky, and why was your father absent? What is the name of your father and his father and his father? Do your neighbors Muhammad and Fatuma water the orphaned houseplant whenever you are away? Are you aware your parents first arrived in Australia with their life savings wrapped in brown paper, their only English, the lyrics to We Are the Champions? Did your mother bring two dresses, red polka dot and turquoise taffeta in her peeling 60s suitcase? Did you correct her thanks God? Did she put up a fight when you said you were leaving when he left? And how was your first Ramadan alone? Did you miss the walnut ma'mul and Allahu Akbar's tossed at you Eid mornings? Have you told anyone about the Enid Blyton books you stole from Stanmore Library because your mother worked three jobs? If you flatten your gutturals, is it still Arabic? Why did your childhood best friend run away? What man siphoned her dry? And why does your grief stick to everything? Did inhaling an onion help with the tear gas they threw during the protests of 03? What remedies did you inherit from your ancestors? What skeletons? Who taught you to roll what anab like that? Does 2 a.m. still grab you by the throat? Amongst the gitans and sewage and Roman ruins, can Beirut forgive its people? How many times have you phoned your mother since? Does your grandmother always boil her water twice? And why are you still shocked at how things don't work there? 
what other city turns its war bunkers into clubs, its prayers into curses, and why do the wretched always sell roses on Bliss Street? And how do you revive the dead? Why did they take your brother? Could you make out his face amongst the thousands flickering in the waters of the Mediterranean? Did he return months after the funeral to ask you what wrongs did I commit? What village do you carry on your lips, balance on your breath? Have you been to Jerusalem during olive harvest season? Did you pick and press before the settlers gathered like acid in your chest and poisoned the ancient trees? Have you tired yet of the may Allah have mercies? Have they tired of you? Were you afraid of the men with guns those nights the power cut? Did you splutter your amens and sweat out your tasabih? Do you remember the countries you've lost? Do their crooked rivers still cling to you? Did you hear the auntie's rusted arms, coarse hairs on chins call you lonely? Call you nobody's mama anymore? Did you tell your mama you named him Omar al-Farooq after the revered warrior? Why did it end with your great love who changes everything? Did he make your wide hips tremble with jazz and dirbakke? Did he linger long enough on each letter of Yalil, Ya'in, and the evening news headlines? Did your hurts trail behind him like tangled fishing lines too much for the life he lived? And does weight like that settle or lift? And what of the days you feel the earth graying? And when will you stop writing about borders and bloodshed and war and death and home and home and home? Thank you. That's all for Race Matters this week. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Daryl Asagas. Thank you so much to our guest, Sarah Saleh. Sarah is a writer, a poet, refugee and human rights advocate. She recently compiled a collection of resources on Sheikh Jarrah and Palestine for us here in the Australian colony. They've listed ways we can take action to support and act in solidarity with Palestine. And we've linked it at fbiradio.com slash race matters. That's also where you can find every episode of the show and you can find them also wherever you stream your podcasts. And a reminder to listen to the Palestine in a podcast episode on Revolution Now if you want to better understand the Israeli occupation of Palestine. It is a great explanation on the history of Zionism and how it's come to be an oppressive force of Palestine and Palestinian people through the state of Israel. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week.
Race matters. 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 Race matters.